and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. I'm Danielle. Hey, everybody. We're an all-Hellboy podcast, and we're reading all the Hellboy stories. This week, we're back on our canon Hellboy reading after taking a couple of weeks to do the Weird Tales. And every week, we also interact with our listeners. And this week, Mark Tweedell is going to tell you all about it. So the Hellboy Book Club tells you what to read. You go and read the thing and think about the thing while you're reading it and you have thoughts. Then you tune in next week and it turns out that they've also read the thing and they've also had thoughts and they talk about the thoughts and share the thoughts and sometimes they argue about the thoughts. And then you hop into a computer and you write, hey, you damn guys, here's a thought. And then you share your thoughts or chat about the thoughts or think about the thoughts or pontificate in general. And that's a whole damn thing. And then in the next Hellboy Book Club podcast, they read your thoughts and they have thoughts of their own responding to that. So you get this kind of weird thought feedback loop, which we call friendship. And then you do the whole thing all over again. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark, for doing that for us. And please keep those coming in. Yeah. I want to hear from the rest of you guys. I would love to hear you describe it. <laughs> I love uh, his version of it was very uh, good. It sounded like he had a couple of cups of coffee in there or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And if you've been enjoying the show, everything that we do on the show is free. You know, we do our weekly posts throughout the week of everything that we talked about. And that's where we get all of our listener feedback from. So please leave us a review if you're enjoying the show on iTunes or share us, retweet us. Or put us in your stories on social media. That always really helps the show. I want to mention uh, Mike Mignola was on the Drink and Draw. Did you watch that, Aubrey, this week? I did. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. It was like Joe Casada and a bunch of other big name artists, including not in- Dave Stewart, Dave Johnson who's done a lot of the covers for the Hellboy books, including, um, I'm thinking like BPRD 1947. I know he did those covers. And it was really great to watch that. Yeah, so I highly recommend checking out that Drink and Draw. It was like, like a, a video thing. You can watch it on YouTube. Yeah, it's like a YouTube live video thing. Uh, they have like a bunch of ones. They had like a, one with another Hellboy creator a couple weeks back. It was pretty cool. I think Aubrey mentioned this on a previous episode. He was on the Culture Chat podcast, and that was really great. That was a really great discussion, so I highly recommend that as well. You know, if you've got some extra time, just great to hear from Mignola and hear his thoughts about, you know, the sketches, what's going on in the world right now, and then also just hearing him shoot the shit with other comic book artists was really cool. Yeah, you should definitely give it a, show, a listen to it if you haven't. It's uh, it's really cool. It's only an hour, so you're not going to, you know. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback section. <laughs> said i like the bit where danielle sings my name were you guys drinking beers again while recording it always sounds like you're having a great time you know sometimes we are drinking a, a beer or two but i don't think last week we were no, i think that I'm was just, just i'm i'm just that annoying all by myself <laughs> just naturally what what i was gonna say is we just have fun talking to each other <laughs> and talking about comic books and i think we just have a good time yeah. i mean I, I i feel like on episodes where people think that we're drunk we're actually not no, we're yeah. just having fun talking about the comics so and we, we really are this goofy guys yeah <laughs> we had some feedback on weird tales love is scarier than death mark tweedell he found a love to rock shirt remember we were talking about that love to oh, rock shirt awesome. but it doesn't look like the one that hellboy is wearing it just has it like in uh in handwriting or something like that. <laughs> I thought that was funny. And we were talking about the BPRD Hell on Earth, Volume 2 Omnibus, and he said that the misprinted ones were pulped mm. by Dark Horse. They were they were destroyed. Oh. So okay. so that might be kind of a rare thing. Aubrey, I know you've got one, right? Uh, yeah, you, thank you. I appreciate you giving it to me. Yeah, so he was saying that there's going to be a paperback reprint coming out in 2021. But yeah, I don't know that they will reprint the hardcover anymore. We had some feedback on Weird Tales Friday. That was that really cool noir one by Gene Colan. Hayden Orr said, Colan's work on Tomb of Dracula will always be some of the best comics art of all time. He was truly a talented artist. And Mark Tweedell said, I'm with Danielle. Liz should change her shoes. 
Hell, she'd have spares in her car. She's a professional after all. I have two sisters that have roared in fury at moments like this in movies since forever. And they always have good walking shoes in their cars. Yes. Mm. <laughs> that was great. Um, do you have some walking shoes in your car? Do you keep some extra I shoes? I don't own heels. Oh, right. <laughs> and they, I don't know. I mean, some people can wear them. I'm not, right, I can't. Yeah. They physically decimate me. I mean, I wouldn't be able to. I would need physical therapy for weeks right. if I wore heels for just one what, and, evening for and, a couple of hours. I mean, my back, my legs, my feet. It's just not a. It's not a good idea for me to do that ever. And what does that tell you about me too? Because I don't. I didn't even notice like <laughs> that. You never wear them. <laughs> uh, I used to work with like a lot of different uh, young women who every time that they would leave work, they'd kick off their heels and yeah. put on some flat shoes to walk to their car. Right, because it was just like a work attire thing. That's so weird. Wearing heels absolutely sucks. Yeah. We had some feedback on Weird Tales Professional Help. Um, Evan Dorkin retweeted us, which I thought was super cool, the writer of that. Um, I'm a fan of his work. And I forgot to mention Ron Mars also retweeted us for Shattered, so that was pretty cool, too. Oh, that's awesome. That's nice. Um, Drew Campbell mentioned, I don't know if we mentioned this, that Evan Dorkin co-created Beasts of Burden, which is by Jill Thompson, who painted that 15 Minutes one. We're going to get to a really good crossover with Hellboy and those animals. I don't know if you know about Beasts of Burden. They're all dogs and cats. That's the whole comic. You brought it up a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll get to that this Halloween probably. I feel like there's a lot of comics that are dogs and cats, though. Okay. That's the majority of comics are just like (laughs) talking animals, right? No? Okay, I guess. I think of more like superheroes, I guess, but... Oh, I thought you meant like a comic strip. No, it's a comic book. Oh, okay. It's a comic book. I was like... That's all comics is. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No. It's just talking animals. (laughs) You're right. You're right about that. Sorry, my bad. That was a fundamental misunderstanding of the type of comics That's okay. you were talking about. Sorry. When we were talking about that story, we also mentioned Quisling Universus. Drew Campbell said, Quisling Universus refers to Wiccan Quisling, the Prime Minister of Norway during World War II. He was apparently a puppet for the occupying Nazis and after the war was tried and executed for collaborating with them. His name is the origin for the use of Quisling as the word for traitor. He developed a religion called Universism, which he based on the theory of relativity. The symbol is a military badge worn by members of the fascist Norwegian National Union Party, which was founded by Quisling. So yeah, now that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. After doing that, I didn't go that deep into the research. But thank you, Drew, for clearing that up. I appreciate that. I think we can all agree those guys suck. Yeah, they're terrible. Yeah. Yeah, they really fucking are. <laughs> and Benny Decker on Twitter, he had a great suggestion. We were talking about the casting of Izzy Kemper, oh, the, yeah. the psychic who his powers only work when it's not raining. He said BJ Novak from oh, The okay. Office. Right on. Yeah. Oh. He would make a good Izzy Kemper. Sure. That's pretty good. I like that. I like that one. When I posted about Weird Tales Toy Soldier, that one was uh, written by Akira Yoshida, who later turned out to be C.B. Sobolski. Remember we talked about that? Okay, so Scott Alley commented on that, and he just said, oh boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. So I take that to mean, like, they didn't know. Right. You know what I mean? At at the time, I don't think, I mean, I read something about that uh, when he became the um, editor-in-chief at Marvel, but I think at the time, people didn't know. Right. Sure. Right. Well, I mean, I think that that's something like I hope that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because. <laughs> well, I think that comment. If there was any question, I think that comment kind of says like. Yeah, we wish we hadn't have done sure, this. Sure. Yes. If we had known, we probably would not have done this. So, <laughs> you know. That's yeah. how I read that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we're gonna give well, obviously gonna give you all the benefit of the doubt there and. Yeah. Because who would, right? Yeah, whomst amongst whomst us. Am- no, that's not the proper use of that phrase. Whomst amongst us is, haven't we all done this? We all done this. Oh, well, I, I meant we would have all been fooled, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. We would have all been. Right. Well, I mean, in the in the time of emails, and like, so you never actually sure. meet people. So, yeah, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, for sure. And Mark Tweedo, he had a lot of feedback on Weird Tales. We haven't heard from him while we've been doing the Weird Tales. And so yeah. kind of wrapping it up. Um, he had he kind of let all his thoughts out, and so I thought this was really good. He said, 
Okay, I so I've only actually read Weird Tales once. There's a lot of snarling Hellboy or bro Hellboy in Weird Tales, which is very difficult for me to swallow. Yeah. These stories just don't do anything for me. However, I know people love them, so I'm not going to go on about that. Love the things you love. I'll sit that conversation out. That said, I appreciate that Weird Tales exists. The thing is, Mignola didn't initially plan on drawing Hellboy Conqueror Worm. Clearly, he was already starting to approach a point where he could feel the universe growing faster than he could draw it. And he knew he was going to need collaborators. And you can see early on with Matt Smith and Ryan Sook, they did Hollow Earth and Ape Sapien vs. Science. He was looking at artists that could imitate his own style, and I think he quickly discovered he didn't like that. In the case of Ryan Sook, I think the artist was feeling cramped by this too. So now we hit 2002, Mignola's finishing up Hellboy the Third Wish, and it's tough. It's time. He needs to find the team for BPRD and people that can draw new Hellboy stories. In 2003, we have most of the Hellboy Weird Tales and the BPRD stories Soul of Venice, Dark Waters, Night Train, and There's Something Under My Bed. I think all these collectively as Weird Tales because they all have got the same exploratory energy. Mignola stepped back and let creative teams do whatever they wanted so that he could see what collaborators could bring to this world. In the case of BPRD, we had There's Something Under My Bed, which is really a Weird Tales story. Do you remember that one where Abe, he saves all those kids and there's like the the toys are really monsters and stuff like that? Do you oh, remember yeah. that one? Yeah, I remember that one. That was also the one where it's like the parents were always yelling at the kid and right. monsters, but they were still trying to save the kid or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. It says, it strays so far from what the Hellboy universe is and its tonal consistency, and I think it was stuff like that that made Mignola write the next arc, BPRD Plague of Frogs, as a course correction. I mean, there's stuff in Night Train, like the Supernatural Twins, where Mignola saw it and realized some people were reading his books like the Bureau was full of Men in Black-style characters, and that simply wasn't the world he wanted to build. Hellboy Weird Tales is a more extreme version of this. We often see a version of Hellboy expressing toxic masculine traits, snarling at everything, and being very quippy. It's like they saw how Hellboy interacts with Rasputin and Hecate, and then they applied that to everyone. Except that's not how Hellboy is at all. He doesn't have time for Rasputin or Hecate's shit, but he's there for his friends. Hellboy's a mellow and empathetic character who gets along well with kids. I think Mignola saw this stuff and responded to it. Right after this, he did the short stories The Troll Witch and The Ghoul, both of which are about Hellboy's relationship with the monsters he fights. It shows that when he fights monsters, this is a different side of Hellboy, that he chooses to switch off his empathy and suggest this is not healthy. And this in turn led to the Wild Hunt trilogy, which had Hellboy wrestling with this further. And I remember we had read this story where... There was a guy in an oven and he was like, hey, man, it's cool. Let's just, you know, let's have a talk about it. Right. Yeah. Hang out together, man. That was in Darkness Calls. Yeah, You're stuff right. like that. So, like, there's a lot of examples of Hellboy just being like, no, nah, no, nah, it's it's all right. Let's just talk about it. It's going to be okay. In the last episode, you brought up the Daryl the Wendigo yeah. scene. Yeah, right? exactly. Stuff like that. So, yeah, no, yeah. I agree with that. I, but you know, I think that there's, you know, Manuel goes out of his way to be like, actually, Hellboy is... A lot of things, and it's not a one-dimensional, right? Funny pages, sure. Character. Weird Tales sort of showed Mignola the things about Hellboy that some readers weren't seeing, and his future stories began accentuating those aspects. And I think you can also see sparks in Weird Tales that grew into something else. Back in Hellboy Conquer Worm, Hellboy had mentioned a bad live-action Lobster Johnson serials in the 1940s, but that's it. Then Lobster Johnson Action Detective Adventure comes along and introduces the idea that it was also a comic. That grew into Lobster Johnson as a comic book and a Mexican wrestler in the canon later. Most importantly, I think Weird Tales showed Mignola where he had to step in and take control and where he could step back and let writers and artists express themselves. And that shows in BPRD The Dead and The Black Flame. And it shows in Hellboy Macoma, Darkness Calls, and They That Go Down to the Sea in Ships. Weird Tales was a very important step towards the cohesive Hellboy universe we have now. These sparks are what I find interesting about Weird Tales, and I see some of these sparks coming to life in Mignola's canon. Speaking of canon or not, I'm extremely fussy. World building and plot contradictions are what people often cite for their reasoning, but for me it's more subtle than that. I look for tonal consistency. Mignola's stories are thoughtful, and while there's certainly a range there, it's safe to say that stomping a cat like a cockroach falls outside of that. 
racist caricatures and misogyny and cheesecake art and a weird amount of horniness all strike me as wrong notes that don't mesh with Mignola's Hellboy. Put it this way, Hellboy stomping on a cat isn't what makes me say that's not canon. Terrible things can happen in Hellboy, but if it does, holy shit, do you know it. It would be a goddamn tragedy. It would make these characters question who they are. They wouldn't just shrug it off with a whoops, I killed the nicest member of the family. That kind of detachment makes Hellboy seem like a sociopath. This isn't the guy that tells the Bureau scientist that's enough and goes and gets Abe a ham sandwich. Yeah, I thought that was great. That was uh, awesome feedback from Mark. I really appreciate that. When I read that the other day, I was like, damn, Mark pretty much sums up what I was feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then gave me some like background information I didn't know. What did he call it? Bro Hellboy or something? Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. Um, what, snarling that, like, Hellboy, yeah. Okay, yeah. So like when I read that, I was just like, "That's it. That that was what I wasn't liking about the Hellboy characterization in some of those stories." Right. Yeah. Uh, Mark also had some comments on another controversial topic: the chocolate pickles. Oh. <laughs> he said, "Single origin chocolate has an extremely broad taste profile, and as you get to extremely high chocolate percentages, it starts to work better as a savory item than a sweet." So I'm willing to try chocolate pickles. Even still, I'd be cautious. I mean, I'm pretty fussy about my chocolate. It could end up incurring my wrath. I think wrath. Well, but he added another comment and said in Australian it's pronounced wrath. Is it really? Wow. I didn't yeah. Know. Okay. So there was an additional comment that told me how to say it correctly. Wrath. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if it was spicy pickles, like I might try the spicy. I don't know. I'd I mean. I'd try it. I would try it. I'm not sure I would like it. All right, and now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about Hellboy and the BPRD 1953. We're back on our canon stuff. Remember that we read Hellboy and the BPRD 1952. Previously in that series, Hellboy went down to Brazil with some agents that we've met. Archie, his friend from childhood, and Stegner from the 1940s series. We also met Agent Jiang in that series, and Amzel, who turned out to be a traitor that was employed by Malcolm Frost. Amzel was later killed by Vivara at the end of that series. And that team fought a monster that turned out to be a monkey monster created by Von Klempt. Hellboy fought Von Klempt and that familiar green-eyed Ogdruhem, which spawned a giant as well. But Von Klempt's head ended up getting away with one of his monkey henchmen. And Hellboy became a United States citizen. I think that's where he got his citizenship, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. And as we dig into these adventures from 1953, we pick up with Hellboy in England. And we get this nice cover here. This is actually the cover to the issue that had the Phantom Hand and the Kelpie. And you can kind of see that in the imagery there. This was published in October 2015. Story by Mignola. Art by Ben Stenbeck. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. Classic team is back, right? Oh, yeah. It's about time, too. Yeah, but I really like this cover. It's great having some Mignola art back in here, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. So cool. I'm sitting here looking at uh, the right hand of Doom, and for those of you guys who did watch the uh, the live stream, he, uh, Mignola was talking about, talking again about he, he doesn't draw the palm. Yeah, shows- yeah. And then he was just like, it's a dumb design, but I really, but I'm stuck with it. And I'm like, no, it's great, Mike. Because the fingers are kind of flat if you splayed them out the way the yeah. design of the hand is. And he was like, that was kind of stupid of me to do that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we love it. The first story that we're going to read is The Phantom Hand. We open this story in St. Albans. This is a cathedral city in England and the major urban area in the city and district of St. Albans. And this is February 1953. And we see Hellboy, Professor Broom, and Harry H. Middleton. We actually get to see alive Harry, Professor Broom's friend. Remember that Hellboy lived with the ghost version of Harry in his house in Darkness Calls. Harry Middleton, you ain't dead. Right, he's not. (laughs) That was great, Aubrey. Uh, The three of them are investigating this old haunted house. And they talk about this phantom hand. First of all, I love having Ben Stenbeck back. He did the Witchfinder stuff with Sir Edward Grey. And I love that we're opening in on Hellboy and Broom. I liked in the 1952 where he was off with the soldiers. But this is also great. I love these set of stories. They're all with Broom. And I like knowing that they like went on and had adventures yeah, together. Great. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. They talk about the phantom hand. There's a story that the maid was frightened to death by it. Harry says Lady Hamilton claimed the hand climbed into her bed and tried to strangle her. But you remember what she was like, Harry says. I do, Broom responds. 
and we see Hellboy walking alongside them. He's in his classic BPRD black shirt and trench coat. I love that outfit. That's a great look. As they walk through the house, Harry says, it's been mostly seen in this one room. And it looks like a sitting room. It's got like a library and a fireplace. I would love to have like a sitting room with just a, you know what I mean? Just all your books and just like a big comfy chair. That would be nice. Whose hand is it? Hellboy asks. Harry says, nobody knows for sure. Broom heard it was a warlock named Sims. Of course, I did have to look this up. I couldn't find anything about a warlock named Sims, but there's this book called The Captives by Hugh Walpole. God, I forgot what year it is from. I think it's from the 1940s, but there's a character called Dr. Warlock and Dr. Sims. And so I don't know if that has anything to do with that reference there. Middleton says that was according to Benson. And we get a footnote here. It says, F.T. Benson, author of Our Haunted Houses of England, Ireland, and Wales, 1936. And I couldn't find any reference to that. Apparently, Benson was more about the good story than research, Middleton says. And Harry's done his own research. In 1749, all these kids went missing. Peter Gurney was one of the kids' names. And so I looked that up, too. And I couldn't find a reference to that except a guy... That was called the guinea pig man. And he was all about advocating for guinea pigs. Okay. That's nice. No, that's good. (laughs) He was a campaigner for the rights and welfare of guinea pigs. That's a good thing. When uh, Kathy and I first got together, she had three guinea pigs. I mean, they've since passed away, but they were cute little guys. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting detail. But anyway, I don't think that has anything to do with this Peter Gurney. Lord Albert Gurney's son, Peter, was the one missing. So Lord Albert tracked down this creepy guy. And we see he's got like a knife and those familiar Mignola-esque sigils in the background, along with like some dead bodies and stuff. So it's pretty grisly. He says, he made me do it. And then we get this panel of his hand getting chopped off. That's a very Mignola to me, like... You can tell that Mignola is writing this story. I think there's just the way that it's paced, and especially that panel at the end. He made me do it. Swock. You see the hand get cut off with the knife still in it. That's totally his pacing. Harry goes on with his research, and it's quite extensive. He's tracked a lunatic being sent to London that year. He knows when the hand started being reported and who owned the house. And he goes on and on. And as he does, Hellboy starts dozing off in the big comfy chair by the fire. And so there's like a beat, right, where we just see the outside of the house. And then we see Broom awaking Hellboy. And Hellboy's like, what? I wasn't. He shushes him. And then Hellboy's like, oh. And you see the hand crawling up. I love that. So great. Uh. So when I was reading this the other day, I was like sitting there thinking, oh, Hellboy fell asleep. But then I was like, at this point in time, he's only like, what, eight eight years old? Because uh, he's popped into the earth on 45. Wow, that's crazy. You're right. He just dozed off because he's a tired little tyke. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that when Broom wakes him up, he's like, Shh. he's like, I'm not mad. You right. Know? Yeah. <laughs> There's a creepy hand coming. So while they're all standing there, you know, Hellboy's quick to the action. He gets like the fire poker and he stabs it through and he's like, horrible thing. And he just flicks it into the fire. Jeez. <laughs> and the whole time Broom's like, what are you doing? And when the hand lands in the fire, there's a good bit of pacing as it like flies through the air. And then the house, they hear this screaming sound coming from somewhere. And then there's a huge explosion from the fireplace. We get a geez from Hellboy. <laughs> I know I'm new at this, Hellboy says, but I'm going to guess it's something really terrible. And we see this awful demon creature has now come out from where the hand was. And Broom and Middleton, they immediately go into like their exorcist mode where they're like holding up the cross (laughs) and all that stuff. And, you know, saying all this stuff from the Bible. But Hellboy just goes in with the fire poker and starts fighting this thing. And a lot of this is just a good pacing with action. I love Stenbeck's work here. Um, especially drawing Hellboy. He's got a really good style about it. As Hellboy is fighting the monster, at one point it grabs him from around the neck and then throws him aside. It starts going after Broom and Middleton, and so Hellboy lures it outside, and we see them crash out of the thing. And so they're just going on and on, right? And Harry says, that young man of yours, he's an idiot, Broom responds. I quite like him, Harry says. And Broom's like, Hellboy! Oh, man. <laughs> Those moments are so well paced. I really love the dialogue there. It's a nice beat, the whole thing, you know, and it goes over like a couple of pages, and but it 
flows so fast. It really does. And as they continue fighting, you know, they fall down the steps. They're going out to the courtyard. They're going across the path here and then into the woods. So the fight is just going on and on. It's really great. There's something comical about all this. It's good. Well, yeah. And also, I think something that adds to that comical feel, I guess, is Harry's talking about oh yeah you know i wouldn't worry about it if nothing else so lad, lad looks like he can take a beating <laughs> right and just exactly. fighting and fighting and it's like you have to expect there to be like a cartoon yes, smoke cloud exactly. like, with arms and feet and- that's exactly what i thought of as hellboy fights this thing and bashes it into a tree we see harry and broom running up so what do you think harry says I think it's the demon responsible for those child murders, Broom responds. The killer, warlock or not, he was only a puppet. And then we get a flashback to when he said, he made me do it, right? So now that comment has a lot more context. The demon was controlling this guy. It's a good theory, Harry says, but we can't be much of a demon, though. 200 years, and all it's done is crawl about on the floor. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it is pretty hilarious, if you think about it. 200 years of just being a hand. Right. Yeah, I like Harry a lot. Yeah, I wonder, I'm trying to picture like what kind of accent he talks with. Is he like an English guy? Where are they right now? They're in England, so I assumed he was English. Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I imagine him with a Scottish accent for some reason, but maybe that's just because they gave him kind of like reddish, brownish hair. I've been hearing him with a very British accent. Okay, great. In my head, so I don't know. Hellboy's fight with the demon leads them to the cemetery, and there's all these like little tombstones in a circle, and Hellboy runs up to the demon... That's it. I've had enough of you, pal. And he, like, grabs one of these tombstones and bashes it over the head with it. And when he does, it turns back into a hand and then just thuds to the ground. Ah, jeez. The kids, Hellboy says. And we see the ghosts of the kids coming up from those tombstones. And the tombstone says Peter Gurney. So that's that little kid that got killed in that very fur in the origin of this whole thing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And also the guinea pig man. Also the uh, guinea pig man what? <laughs> I think it's pretty telling that uh, something that Hellboy sees the ghost kids. So you know how we're talking about when did Hellboy start seeing ghosts or something like that? Oh, yeah. Pretty evident. He's basically seeing them right away. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hellboy just sees ghosts. Yeah. yeah. After the encounter, we cut back into the house and Broom and Harry talk by the fireside. Hellboy's sleeping like a baby. They talk about why the children were buried out there. Harry says if they were to dig them up, they'd probably have stakes through their hearts. Hmm. Well, that's not then, Broom says. <laughs> I love those kinds of yeah. comments. Those very, the dry, dry gentleman-ty, yeah. gentlemanly, I don't know what. I just love all that. I like the panel at the top on the right. When you're sitting by the fireplace, you can see the soot still on the fireplace and when the fireball popped up earlier. Yeah, you're right. What a great detail. Yeah, I mean, it's it's subtle, but it's a nice touch. I like things like that. Yeah, you can also see the windows broken out because Hellboy and the monster fought mm-hmm. through it and all that stuff. That's really good. No, but I do like the droll humor. That's what it is, yeah. The, British, the Britishness. <laughs> Broom also notices a box. Harry has boxed up the hand and thought Broom could take it back to the Bureau. Broom says they don't do much research. Not this kind of research anyway. It's the government over there, Broom laments. The military really... And the Russians. Remember, because he saw that the Russians, they had they have hoarded all these mystical artifacts and all this kind of stuff. I like that. That one little line just brings up all these thoughts of uh, the BPRD 1940 series. And yeah. The and the special special science services. Yes, exactly. Shit, my mind just goes crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he's talking about. He's referencing all those things. There's more he wishes he could tell Harry, but it's top secret. Simpler times, eh, Harry says. And they like hold up their glasses and say cheers. That's a cute moment. Yeah. And then there's just like a beat, right? So they have their little moment, they cheers, and then there's a beat, and then Harry brings up all this stuff with Hellboy. It's a good bit of pacing. He says there's been a hundred sightings of the hand, and only they encountered the demon. You don't honestly think it's because Hellboy threw it on the fire. Broom thinks Hellboy did have something to do with it, and they talk about how Frost thought he was dangerous. Broom also reveals that Frost killed himself in Argentina. So remember, Frost saw Amsel get burned by Vivara, and then shortly after that he killed himself. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Broom says... I could never make him understand the potential I see in the boy. 
You saw what happened here. What appeared to be a common haunting was obviously something worse. He brought the thing to a head, and now it's over. You do recognize that, don't you? The atmosphere in here has totally changed. We've both seen what's out there, what we're up against. Imagine the good this boy could do. So you're using him, Harry says. Maybe I am, Broom responds. I know what he is, what he might grow into, maybe even what he's meant to be, but I also see what he can be. He just needs a little guidance and someone to set a proper example. And that would be you, Harry says? Well, Broom responds. Of course it is, Harry says. No need to be modest with me. We've known each other too long. I think he's in good hands, Trevor. Really, I like him. Thank you, Harry, Broom says. And then we just cut to Hellboy snoring on the bed. He's not even like under the sheets. Or he's still like in his full yeah. outfit and the trench coat and everything. But we get this amazing depiction of the Beast of Apocalypse version of Hellboy by Stenbeck here as Broom's talking, which is just incredible. In the middle of this like fireside chat, it's great to have that image to turn the page to and just like so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought this was a great little story. What would you think about this one? It was very like akin to the short stories, right? The early ones and stuff like that. I really enjoyed this thing because it felt like we were, after the four weeks of the Weird Tales, which are fine. refreshing. Uh, <laughs> it really was. It was like, I'm not going to say like crawling through a desert, but it was like, you know, uh, when you're really thirsty, you get that glass of water and it's like, mm, so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, was, it was remarkably not annoying. Oh, right. You, you really appreciate the Mignola writing and the colors by Dave Stewart and just like the creative team, you know, like for us to come back to Stenbeck and Mignola, all the stuff that they've done together has been great. So um, it's just really nice. It's a nice way to ease us back into the canon verse. Yeah, well, okay. I don't want to be mean, but it was so hard to give a fuck about any of that stuff. Okay, no, it's you're free to say that. I mean... You know, um, I know, like, I think I said this like, before, oh, but yeah. Weird like Tales is homework. not everyone's thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I'm glad you enjoyed this one. I mean, some of them were good, like I said, but yeah, then it yeah. was just like, okay, so who cares? None of this is going anywhere. <laughs> so why? Like, it's like, it's like I said, like, I was like, oh, this would make a good cold open. Sure. This is a good five minutes of a show. Well, thank you for doing that. Yeah. And for our next story, we're going to read Rawhead and Bloody Bones. This is a short story that was published along with The Witch Tree in Hellboy and the BPRD Issue 2 in November 2015, written by Mignola, art by Ben Stenbeck, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. And we open in Yorkshire. This is a historic county in northern England. It is known for its Roman and Viking heritage. And Broom and Hellboy approach a bar called Rawhead and Bloody Bones. And on it, there's a sign of this like skinless monster face and a skeleton head Yikes. with like red red eyes. Jeez. Nice, Hellboy says. Uh. <laughs> The, the look on his face is all like, uh, nice. <laughs> Inside, they talk to the owners, a man and a woman, and they say the bar has been there for 200 years. It was called the Whistling Pig till they bought it and changed the name. And then all this creepy stuff started happening. Noises, bumping, claw marks were found, and then their dog was killed after being Jeez. out one night. It was them, the woman says. On the lighter side, the taps have been so lovingly rendered. I know. I love this. It's very like, um, it looks like a 200-year-old British pub. Yeah, nice. yeah. I like how these two people are bold that they bought this pub that's been around for 200 years and say, now nah, we're changing the name. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, I like this comment from Broom. He's like, unlike banshees or werewolves, there's no actual count to the creature or creatures called Rawhead and Bloody Bone. So he's like, unlike banshees or werewolves, which are totally yeah. real. That was great. This there's no basis for this thing. It's very it's a very Mulder moment. Yeah. <laughs> it was just made up to frighten children, he said. Or even a Giles-ish kind okay, of thing. Yeah. He'd be like, yeah, well, just explaining stuff very dryly and matter-of-factly. That's probably a better example. Right. It's almost got the almost the accent, right? Yeah, yeah. Demons after money. Whatever happened to the still beating heart of a virgin? No one has any standards anymore. So I did look this up. The Oxford English Dictionary cites approximately 1548 as the earliest written appearance of Bloody Bone. The term Rawhead and Bloody Bones and other such names was used to awe children and keep them in subjection. As recorded by John Locke in 1693, Samuel Johnson in his Dictionary of the English Language defined Rawhead as the name of a specter mentioned to frighten children. 
The stories originated in Great Britain, where they were particularly common in Lancashire and Yorkshire, and spread to North America, where the stories were common in the southern United States. I've never heard of it. Have you ever heard of this, Rawhead and Bloody Bone? No. I've never heard of it. It said southern United States. I was like, I wonder where. I don't think I ever heard of it. And, you know, there's a lot of British stuff I'm shocked at, though. I mean, pe- they put beans on toast. <laughs> so I don't know. I want to try that. Yeah. That's, that sounds like that could be good. Who knows? I mean, I'll eat beans and then I'll have some bread. Well, but we, I don't know if I p- ever I've ever put them together. Or but not, you put so. beans in a tortilla. So how is that different sure. from a bread? Right. I guess it's not. It's I guess not it's really no all, different. We're not really all that. Different. We're not all that different. <laughs> Uh, Bloody Bones is sometimes regarded as a water demon hunting deep ponds, oceans, and old marl pits, which often became filled with water to form ponds where it dragged children into their depths, much like the Grindy Low and Jenny Greenteeth. And we mentioned Jenny Greenteeth. She was mentioned all the way back in Hellboy the Corpse. Children were told to keep away from the marl pit or Rawhead and Bloody Bones will have you. And I think there's even like a little nursery rhyme thing about this. Ruth Tongue said in Somerset Folklore... That he lived in a dark cupboard, usually under the stairs. If you were heroic enough to peep through a crack, you would get a glimpse of the dreadful crouching creature with blood running down its face. Seated waiting on a pile of raw bones that belonged to children who told lies or said bad words. If you peeped through the keyhole, he would get you anyway. Okay. And that's how they get you. I, I had no idea that this was a real thing until I did the research. I had read the story already, but I thought it was just a made up thing. It sounds like something Mignola would make up right? (laughs) Uh, yeah. But the man says there is an account of this in the real world. He says a man named Dr. Tolliver and his partner, Mr. Stump, they were grave robbers and there were rumors that they did worse. Children started calling them rawhead and bloody bones and they used to drink at the whistling pig, but a mob caught them grave robbing and beat them to death and buried them in the woods. I like how the wife said, well, he called himself a doctor. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and as we kind of, as they're talking, we pan outside, and behind the bar, we see, like, this mist forming ominously. Oh, man. Ominous mist. Wait, you named this place after the local grave robbers, Hellboy asks? (laughs) They were looking to get more business with the young folk, the man explains. They like the spook stories. Like the Dracula, (laughs) the woman adds. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. That was a good one. Those are like those little moments in Hellboy and Hell where they would say something and one of them would say, it's true, or something like that. You know, just those, I just love the the dialogue in this. Yeah. Uh, In the background now where that ominous mist was forming, we see the two raw head and bloody bone kind of figures coming up out of there. Broom wonders if they could invoke spirits by just changing the name. Why don't you just get rid of that creepy new sign, Hellboy asks. (laughs) And so we cut to them getting ready to burn the sign, right? This is great. (laughs) And Broom, he doesn't want to get their hopes up. Hauntings can be complicated. Couldn't hurt, Hellboy says. I like the name The Whistling Pig better anyway. I like that that's what he's thinking about. Like, just change it back to this other name. It's better. Super cute. Get get rid of that creepy sign. (laughs) His solution is so simple, right? And just matter of fact, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, that if you use your common sense, you you would start there, right? So we see Rawhead and Bloody Bones approaching further. I love this top panel where we can see the bloody bones guy or whatever. Very cool work by Ben Stenbeck. I love this. And so Hellboy sees them coming up. He's like, Professor. And so they turn around, they see them. And again, we get a, oh. That's good. Right before the action. I love this panel where it just is just, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) That is so good. Super good. And they get all frightened, and I don't know if Broom does it intentionally or not, but he drops the match right on the sign, which explodes into flames, and then as it does, <laughs> so do the giant raw head and bloody bones that were emerge from the I woods. Love the, right here. <laughs> yeah, that is that sound effect. It's good. <laughs> it's almost like screw on head or something, right? Yes. yes. No, this, these stories are so great. It's like Aubrey said, it's like you're super thirsty, and then you take a big old drink of water. <laughs> it's great. We see the bones collapse into flames, and then they just fall on the ground. That was something, Hellboy says. The next panel is the whistling pig. Yeah, you see the whistling pig sign oh, is back up. Man. It was That was one of the details I forgot to mention. Behind the bar, you could see yeah, that sign. It's just such a good gag. Like, it's very... <laughs> they just this, turned it back into the whistling this pig. This whole thing is just good timing. 
on the so panels. There is a there are a lot of bars called the Whistling Pig. There's actually one in Dallas called the Whistling Pig Pub. But in uh, that would be Dallas, Texas. Yes, okay. Dallas, Texas. So in Yorkshire, there is a pub called the Pig and Whistle. Okay. From their website, we're a pint-sized neighborhood bistro and charcuterie bar serving up small plates that pack a punch. We believe that every bite should be specially sourced for its quality and character. This is why you'll be served only the very finest fare from across the British Isles and Europe. So yeah, the pig oh, and whistle. Why would it be from across the British Isle if you're in... Maybe it's a touristy kind of... Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it's a touristy place. Oh, yeah. okay. The pig and whistle. So I wonder if that's a reference to that. Maybe Mignola or Ben Stenbeck or somebody visited that place once. That's fun. Yeah, that was a great story. These short stories are so awesome. And um, it just reminds me of those early days of reading those Hellboy short stories. A lot of them were just like a good bit of action and some humor and stuff. For, they just you keep hearing the birds <laughs> screaming. I don't think you can hear that over here, Aubrey. But every Ugh. every once in a while, it's usually when I take a pause, you'll just hear one of them screaming their heads off. Oh yeah, no, I uh, I shut my door because I could hear my dogs barking. They're just having a good old time in there. <laughs> Our next story is called "The Witch Tree." This is a short story published along with "Rawhead and Bloody Bones" in November 2015. Same great creative team on this one: Mignola, Stenbeck, Stewart, and Robbins. And we open in Shropshire, England. This is a county in England bordering Wales to the west. We see these, um, like, cottages, I guess. What would yeah, you call this? Yeah, these are cottages. And we kind of zoom in on one of them. And one fr- of them is like a church and one of them is a cottage. Right. And we zoom in on one of them. And then we hear knock, knock, knock. Mr. Burke? And then immediately Hellboy's like, you want me to break it down? Yeah. Really, my boy? You're like a bull in a china shop. Try the handle. <laughs> Very, are we learning yet yes. vibes here. Are we learning yet? It, it made me think of like, uh, like I can't remember where I saw, but there's like jokes about superheroes where they never use the door. Sure. They just bust through the wall. Right, yeah. Sorry, um, I just Go want ahead. to talk about, yes. I have to talk about these lovely decorative hinges on this door here. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's really nice. Fantastic. That's nice work. Really good. I wonder if that's based on something historical because it's kind of neat how one of them bends out of the way for Love the it. little window. Love it. That's a neat little detail. Thank you for pointing that out. I really like that. Yeah, and this little cottage is lovingly rendered. You know, everything on the inside is very of the time. I love this whole aesthetic. As they go inside, this guy with glasses pulls a gun on Hellboy and Broom. Ooh. Watch the gun, pal, Hellboy says. Or what, the man responds. You want to see what, Hellboy says, and he pulls back his right hand. Hellboy, Broom interrupts. Please, we're here to help. Jeez. (laughs) We get some de-escalation here. Yeah, but I I thought it was so funny how Aubrey mentioned that he's eight. Yeah, he's a little Eight years old. Yeah. (laughs) That adds a whole other element to these stories. Broom explains that they're friends of Harry Middleton. They called Harry, but he couldn't make it, so they were sent. After making Broom promise Hellboy will mind his manners, the guy with the glasses leads them to Sam. And we see this guy on the bed, and he's all gray and sweating. Sam didn't tell the doctor what really happened. He asks Broom if he's in the same line as Harry, spooks and witches and the like. That's right, Broom responds. So I guess you've heard of Boudicca's hag, Sam says. So this is from the Ancient History Encyclopedia. Boudicca, who died in 61 CE, was a Celtic queen of the... A Senti tribe who led a revolt against Roman occupation of what is now East Anglia, England. So charismatic was Boudicca that ancient sources record tribes joining her revolt, which would not normally have supported an Senti led objective. So when her husband died, her and her daughters were abused, and their land was taken by Rome. Boudicca quickly rallied her tribe and attacked the city, where she massacred the inhabitants and burned the city. The Roman governor stopped his campaign and went to try to stop her attack. Meanwhile, Boudicca had attacked and destroyed modern-day London and St. Albans, resulting in over 80,000 Roman citizens massacred. Wow. And I think they're going to explain that more in this story, but I wanted to go back and look at the historical reference. So anyway, this guy Sam, he says the witch was a curse on the Romans, and they hanged her. Since then, she's been in St. Agnes Church, basement, gathering dust. It was actually good old Eddie Gray that caught her, guessing all the religion would keep her quiet. 
And I wanted to think, like, have we ever seen that Ed Gray go up against this witch or whatever? I don't think we have, but that would be a good story. Maybe we'll come back to that later. I do yeah. like that they can just refer to stuff and be like, oh, yeah, one time Edward Gray did this. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's how our story starts because yeah. he did that and now this is happening. Right. It's, you know, why not? Maybe it'll be like one of those little one shots that come out. You know? Right. Yeah. Here's a fill-in story. Yeah. It was Sam's job to watch over the place. Last night, he noticed someone broke in, and the witch was gone. He went where they hunger, and the body was there. Sam was unsettled after finding her and contemplated burning the body there, but there was something, he tells Broom. Even now, I can't tell you what, but I lost my nerve. And he left her there, planning to come back later to finish the job. What's this bottle here? Oh, I didn't even look at that. Huntsman? Yeah, it looks like it says Huntsman 1608. That's got to be a reference to something. Uh, no. I wonder if that was made up for this just because, like, it's an inside thing, like Mike Mignola, like the Wild Hunt Huntsman. Nice. I don't know. Yeah. Thanks for the research assist there. Well, I didn't actually do any research. I just Googled Huntsman. There is a bourbon, but that's American-like, so I don't know. Oh, right. Yeah, because this is in England. Hmm. And also something that was established in 1608 isn't going to be you know what i mean like right this. right yeah but finding out that something isn't a real thing is also part oh. of the research oh, okay so there you go well as well, far as well, i know that's not a thing but it very well could be so yeah who knows who knows what if it started off in england and then came over here to america and then they started making bourbon so they could still use their established 1608 bullshit? yeah who knows <laughs> i mean probably not but <laughs> and i like this little detail you know, he finds the witch in the tree, and you can see that she's got all these sigils and things drawn on her yeah. legs and stuff like that. I mean, are there tattoos? Yeah, that, that's what it is. Yeah, like Danielle mentioned, we see Sam. He's drinking the Huntsman liquor here, whatever that is. And then he sees the evil witch scratching at his window, still dead but moving, and her eyes glowing like burning coals. The next morning, he was found on the floor, and old Mole Trap was staring him down. Mole Trap, broom-ass? Molworth, the housekeeper, the other guy says. Broom asks Sam where the witch might have gone. And the other guy with the glasses, he's like, that's enough. You know, this guy should be in the hospital. But Broom says he wants to find the tree. And suddenly, Miss Molworth appears and says she can take them. Mole trap, Hellboy says. <laughs> what is that? Is that like a derogatory nickname or something to call somebody trap? I don't know. Seems like it is. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, it could be any number of things. But it's probably derogatory. As Broom, Hellboy, and Molworth walk to the tree, they fill Hellboy in on Boudica, which is pretty much what I already talked about. We get some kick-ass images in the flashback where we see Boudica, like, killing all the Romans and stuff like that. I really like that. Yeah, that's it's super good. Uh, that's a bitchin' sword, too. Oh, yeah. Wow. I didn't even notice that. It's got a very unique handle. I need to make that collage of all the Mignola-designed handles. I wonder if he designed that or... That's Stenbeck. Maybe it's like an actual historical sword. I'm going to have to look into that. And here, like, we kind of get the Mignola twist, right? There's the actual historical part that happened. And then afterwards, they took her down to this cave. And that's the cave where the witch lived. She promised her soul to the witch to drive the Romans out of Britain. And then after that, and we see, like, the cave. I like how there's these little sigils um, drawn around the entrance of that, too. And so after she made this deal with the witch, all these earthquakes and diseases killed the Romans until they hunted down the witch and hung her. It's another spectacular panel by Stenbeck and Stewart here of the flashback. And they give these flashbacks like this red color. Even on the other one, it's got like this orange red. Um, I just really like that. It's really um, dramatic. Just as she died, lightning struck the tree and all the Roman soldiers gathered around were killed. Ouch, Hellboy says. I don't know why, but uh, when I was reading this whole thing about when they executed the witch and all that, it kind of reminded me of the opening of the David Harbour Hellboy movie. For some reason, when they uh, executed Nimoy at the very beginning. Oh, or right. Yeah. And there was the tree there and all that stuff. And it was like some weird tree. I don't know if it was split in half, but it was all mangled and stuff. It was King Arthur in the movie, but I mean, uh, spoilers for everybody. Oh, yeah. It's been out for <laughs> over a year. I think that you're safe on that. And this is the prologue, so I didn't give it anything anyway. But uh, 
because I don't think that's not what happened in the comic. So I don't know. It's making me wonder if did maybe they kind of lifted some of this to throw in the movie. Right. Okay. Broom says she wandered the woods after that, but Mulworth corrects him. Her people worshipped the body in secret like a goddess, and in return she granted them fair weather and long lives. And we see the witch's corpse, and they've built like a little altar around it. Around now, Broom and Hellboy, they realize that Moleworth, she knows a lot more than what she should, and so they call her on it, and then she calls out to Jamie. See her, they've given her like a cameo here. Oh, yeah. That's a nice little detail. And so this guy, Jamie, comes out and he's got those same kind of tattoos on him. And he's all, he's got like a long beard. He looks kind of crazy. He's got like a knife in his belt. And as he comes out, we also reveal that he's got the witch hanging from the tree. And you can also see it split, you know, where the lightning and all that stuff that they talked about in the legend. And Hellboy's ready for action. He's a nut. Hellboy runs off and Broom calls him to wait. Suddenly, Hellboy's foot is grabbed from below. Aw, crap. Roman skeleton zombies. (laughs) Didn't see this coming, Hellboy says. As surprised as you are, my boy, Broom responds. I love how they have this banter while they're fighting off these zombies. You know what I mean? Like, Broom doesn't really have superpowers except that he's not scared right you know what i mean and they're just still having like this kind of it's great i really love this action by stenbeck i guess hellboy wouldn't have seen a lot of this stuff yet you know what i mean because he still looks kind of like surprised and almost you know like frightened even though he can't really be hurt by these guys well it's like we said he's you know he probably this probably is the first time he's seen something like this yeah I love this panel where they're talking about, um, guess that story's true about the Romans being killed here. Apparently so, Broom responds. Pretty tough for a bunch of dead guys hit by lightning, Hellboy says. That's such a great panel. I really love that version of Hellboy there. Moleworth, she calls on Jamie to stop all this, but he says it's the witch. And it's him, he says, pointing at Hellboy. His coming is a sign now. Everything is going to change, Jamie says. And we see Hellboy, he gets speared through the hand and starts getting overtaken by the dead Romans. Jamie says the witch called him because she sensed Hellboy was near. Now she knows it's time to loose the powers that will change the world. And here, Jamie reveals another important bit of info. The witch was aware of an ancient Ogdraham who were trapped in the earth. She communed with the creatures in the cave, and she eventually bonded with it. And I really like those panels, those greens. We get Dave Stewart uses those colors a lot. In the 1952 story, there was that Ogdruham that had like all the green eyes. We've seen it a couple times, and that's what that kind of reminded me of here. I feel like every time, anytime we see the Ogdruham type stuff, it's always alluded in green because like. Like when Nimue, everything was red until all of a sudden it yeah. was green. And then, fun side note, uh, a lot of times Disney uses green to show off their villains. Oh, okay, right. You know, one of the things Mignola talked about in um, in those interviews, I forgot which one it was, but he talked about Atlantis. Did you know that he worked on Atlantis, the, the Lost World? Oh, interesting. Yeah. He did some of yeah. the concept art for those things. It makes me want to go watch that movie. I think it's on Disney+. Plus. And so Jamie reveals this thing about this Ogdraham that's down in the cave, and he wants to wake it up with blood. And it looks like he's going to kill Moltrap, but he stabs himself instead. And when he does, suddenly all this green mist starts coming out of the witch's mouth. It fills the air, and the broken tree, its branches turn into tentacles. I really like that. I thought that was so cool, um, the way these panels are done, where it slowly transforms. Geez, Hellboy says, and Broom starts pleading to the soldiers in Latin. Centurion, listen to me, he tells the one that he's fighting. All of you soldiers of Rome, listen to me. And they all stop, and they just kind of stop fighting and look at him. It's really great. Are we your enemy? Remember who it was that made the earth shake under your feet and brought that sickness that killed your brothers? Remember whose dark god it was that struck you all down on this very spot? Who is your real enemy, Broom ass? And we just hear the witch. And so they all turn, and then they start attacking the witch. I'm so angry at myself, Broom says, that I didn't think of that sooner. You were busy, Hellboy responds. <laughs> These great uh, character moments. I love that, uh, you know, I, I love that they thought that, yeah, of course, he's speaking in Latin, because that's what they spoke in ancient Rome. But if I remember correctly reading something, it's like, we actually don't know what Latin sounded like, spoke back then. And so it makes me wonder 
if these soldiers are like, I think we can understand him, but why is he speaking in that weird accent? Right. <laughs> well, they understood him well enough. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just weird things I've thought about. <laughs> I think about. And I love this panel as they're all approaching the tentacle tree. And you can see it has like those little green eyes all over it. We've seen that with a lot of the Ogdruhim. Just fantastic design and work by Stenbeck. I'm really enjoying him, his team up with Mignola on these short stories. They're so much fun. And as they stab the witch through with all their spears and everything, we hear like the tree or whatever screaming out. And then it turns back into branches and they all just break. All the Roman skeletons crumble to the ground. I'm so sorry, Miss Mulworth, Broom says, because Jamie killed himself, you know, to kick all this off. So there was an actual casualty. And we see the witch all stabbed through, pinned to the broken tree. Well, that worked out, Hellboy says. I was afraid they might not listen to me, Broom responds. For all I know, my family could be descended from Boudicca's people. Yeah, Hellboy says. Nice that they chose you over a smoking mummy witch in an octopus tree. (laughs) To close it out, Broom says, poor Harry, he would have loved this. (laughs) I love that. All he can think about is his friend. Oh, I can't believe you missed out on this thing. You were supposed to be you that was called, but instead... Ah, uh, you missed out. So, chronologically speaking, is this Hellboy's first brush with any of the Andrew Jihad, Andrew Duhem type monsters? Well, um, in, like I said, in the ni- in the nineteen fifty two, when he was fighting Von Klempt, I don't know if you remember, like he fell down into the underground, and there was that weird Ogdruhem with all the green eyes all over it that we also saw in like Tony Masso, and then we saw right. it somewhere else, Witchfinder, a Witchfinder story. Okay, yeah, okay. I think it has a name, but I don't think we've been told it yet. It's I think it's going to come up in another story. Because I was just thinking, like, you know, I mean, these Hellboy early stories, he's getting brushed with these Andrew Him monsters and Andrew Duhat, but he still doesn't know the connection that he'll eventually end up finding out that he has with them. Yeah. And, I mean, this is 1953. He doesn't see Rasputin for another 40 years. Right. So for some reason, I found that slightly interesting. No, that is re- that's very interesting to think about. And um, it it's also makes me think, like, it's weird that his first couple missions are, like, finding this kind of stuff. So, like, just like Harry and Broom, when they were having that fireside chat, they were like, this is too coincidental. It, he's got something to do with all of this. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And for our last story on this episode... We're going to read The Kelpie. This is a short story that was published along with The Phantom Hand and Hellboy and the BPRD 1953 issue one in October 2015. We have the same creative goodness team on this one. And we open in Avebury. This is a Neolithic henge monument containing three stone circles around the village of Avebury in Wiltshire in southern England. One of the best known prehistoric sites in Britain, it contains the largest megalithic stone circle in the world. It is both a tourist attraction and a place of religious importance to contemporary pagans. Constructed over several hundred years in the third millennium during the Neolithic or New Stone Age, The monument comprises a large henge, a bank, and a ditch with a large outer stone circle and two separate smaller stone circles situated inside the center of the monument. Its original purpose is unknown, although archaeologists believe it was most likely used for some sort of ritual or ceremony. Wait, so it's even bigger than Stonehenge? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's three circles. Yeah, it makes you think that, why haven't you heard of this one as much as Stonehenge? Uh, keep most of the people away from it. So they can all go to Stonehenge and everybody, all the cool people go here. Yeah, because it looks like it's a great place to have a picnic, right? <laughs> it looks awesome. I wonder if you can even, well, maybe in 53 you could have. I imagine now it's all maybe like roped off. Hopefully. But I wonder if you could just like go chill out there and have a picnic. It looks awesome. It looks like it would be a great place to be. There's like a little butterfly going by and everything. It's really nice. And I was like looking at all the things here. They've got some bread. You know, they've got like some meat there. They're like, you know, they've got their whole little thing. Harry's got a flask. There's a cheese. Yeah, but I really like the opening of this. I also think it's interesting how they cut apart this top panel. You know, it's really one picture, but one is the title card. And then the rest of it is the rest of the panel. Yeah, that's nice. It actually makes me wonder, like, when he drew it, did he draw it as one panel? And then, like, maybe had it taped off and then removed the tape? Or Oh, yeah. 
I'm just kind of curious how, you know, the process of that particular thing. As Harry and Broom talk, Harry says, Old Bill, wouldn't he have loved this? It's true, Broom says. And so that makes Hellboy ask, who's Bill? Bill Connolly, Broom says, we called him Old Bill. He always seemed older, though he was the same age as us. He was in the ghost club with us at Eton, he says. And so he's referring to Eton College. This is an independent boarding school for boys in the parish of Eton near Windsor and Berkshire, England. And while they were all in college, Bill's brother says there was a headless monk in a ruined church in Scotland. So they decide to skip school and take a look. And we see them in front of the college here. Um, it's just cool, cool to see the young broom. You know, we had that one story in the 1940s where, like, the first time he went into a haunted church and stuff like that. I like this flashback with him and his little ghost hunter friends and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like how, like, you know, I guess it's like he and Harry, they're all buttoned up, but then I guess Bill has got his jacket open, his shirt's partially. Oh, he was kind of like the rebel guy. Yeah, there's a lot in the storytelling. There's a lot of storytelling in the art here. I didn't notice that. That's a great detail. Yeah, but it also, I mean, we'll we'll get to it, but it kind of alludes to maybe how the story ends. Mm -hmm. So they skipped school and they went out there. It says somewhere in Scotland. And I love the little bird there. We get that little bird. Yeah. What's a Scottish bird that that might be? Looks kind of like a robin. And we can see the abandoned church in the background. And then it cuts to them at night. And they're all there telling each other, I'm not afraid. Not one bit. Neither am I. And then it just says later. And I really like this too. Here's Dave Stewart doing a great bit of storytelling because we get all the phases of the sky, right? As they're approaching, it looks like maybe it's kind of like afternoon. And then as they're, as it fades into evening and then at night. Broom and Harry wake up and they find Bill gone. He's not in his sleeping bag. So they go out there and they're like yelling for him in the dark. Look, there is that. And then they see Bill out there. And he's there with like this horse. You can just see him in silhouette. It's a really creepy panel. And we zoom in on Bill. And he's like, here now, you're a beauty, he says to the horse. Christ, no, Bill, don't touch it, Harry yells. We cut to them in the present. Harry knew the Scottish folklore, Broom says. Still, I could hardly believe it. We were so young, Broom says. It was a Kelpie, a water horse, a horrible sort of creature that takes on the shape of a horse, tricks people onto its back, and then gallops into the pond to drown them. And that's what it did to Bill. Did I look that up? Yeah, from Wikipedia... Kelpie or water Kelpie is a shape-shifting water spirit inhabiting the locks and pools of Scotland. It's a Celtic legend. However, analogs exist in other cultures. It is usually described as a black horse-like creature able to adopt human form. Some accounts state that the Kelpie retains its hooves when appearing as a human, leading to the association with the Christian idea of Satan, as alluded to by Robert Burns in his 1786 poem, Addressed to the Devil. There was nothing to be done. Soon as it was morning, we went back to the church, and they're waiting for us, and they see his body there. It's all laid out. That's horrible. Yeah. What a horrible thing. Can you imagine if that happened, like, when you were, like, a, you know, a young guy or whatever? That's really bad. Or even an old guy. That's terrible. Yeah, really. And so, just like Aubrey mentioned in that little artistic detail, he was kind of the one that would, you know, I'm not going to tuck in my shirt, and, you know, and... He was the one that went off and did this kind of like, or he didn't take any patience to think about what he was doing, and then he got killed. Holy crap, Hellboy says. We had to take Bill home to his mother, and we made up a story about a swimming accident. Poor woman, Harry says. She never did forgive us. Looking back, I can't help but think it was some kind of warning, Broom says. Fear of things in the dark. Hide from them. Never go looking for them. Well, we actually showed them, didn't we, Harry says. We did, Broom responds. And Hellboy's like smiling there in the background. The end. What, what what does that mean where he says, well, we certainly showed them, didn't we? Because they constantly are looking for them. Okay, yeah. It's a kind of a dark humor thing. Like, right, right. Yeah, well, we are still doing that, aren't we? There you go. Okay, yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's the way I took it as well. Uh, can't help but think it was kind of a warning. You know, you should fear the things in the dark. You should hide for them. You shouldn't go looking for them. You know, they kept going even though that would have stopped right. most people right they didn't give up they didn't whatever get scared and back down or i don't know and again that's that kind of like mignola humor i guess you know yeah. I mean, that dryness 
We're going to save the rest of the stories from 1953 for our episode next week. But I did want to talk about, I wanted to turn to 136 in the digital sketchbook. Here we've got a couple pages by Ben Stenbeck where he's designing the pencils of the Roman weapons and the armor. Oh, hey, there's, there's that sword. It says picked sword. Google it. Okay, so I googled picked sword, but I don't see one with a handle like that. Oh, I assume the handle is kind of like a... Uh... The Picts, oh, yeah. the ancient Scottish people who held off the Romans. You know, now that I'm looking at that sort of a little closer in this diagram, it almost looks like those two little things are snakes. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Uh, that's actually what I assumed they were when we saw it. Oh, okay. Some 2,000 years ago, Scotland was home to a group of people known as the Picts, so the Romans who controlled much of Britain at the time. They were but mere savages. Men who fought completely naked, armed with little more than a spear, but the Picts were fearsome warriors. Hmm. Every time the Roman Empire tried to move into their territory, the Picts successfully fought back. Cool. Cool. So, like, uh, yeah, I'll send you this article. Yeah, thank you for and that. You can kind of do whatever you want with that. They were called the Painted People. Nice. Damn, look at you with another research assist. That's twice in one episode. Stenbeck says, The first thing I did after getting the script was to do quick digital scribbles of the skeletal Roman guys. No point to them, really, just for fun. Yeah, I imagine that would be fun to draw that. I'm glad that he had fun drawing those guys. That was a great scene. On the next page, we see his sketches for the monster that came out of the fireplace and the phantom hand. I love the look of this guy. Above are my first passes at the demon from the phantom hand. Mike sent me some sketches he had done of some demons from Hellboy in Hell, and he wanted this guy to feel similar. I never managed to get a good shot of his feet in the comic, but he had chicken feet. Yeah, I like that. That's great. And it does go along with the ones from Hellboy and Hell. I, I I do think they look similar to those. No, his design is awesome. All right. This was a little shorter episode than normal, but I like it getting back into our canon stuff. I was so glad to be able to get some Mignola stories yeah. and uh, have Ben Stenbeck. I love his work, and there's one that I can't wait to get to. Uh, I won't talk about it now, but... He does some awesome stuff for this universe. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on these short stories from Mignola. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Okay, everybody. Share us your thoughts on the Hellboy and the BPRD 1953 stories. Uh, you can send us a hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section and our Podbean webpage. As always, a special thanks to the Side Street Steppers for the awesome music that they provided for awesome. us. Thank you, guys. And also, I've been enjoying your stuff that y'all been doing from home. Always a special thanks to Mark Trudell for helping out with the reading order. He's kind of uh, done some like magic and uh, throwing in some cool stories for us. Yeah, and thank you, John, always for editing it to make us sound good. Of course. Yeah, and a, and a, and a thanks to Case for his uh, Harry Middleton line that I stole. This oh week. yeah, shout out to Case on this episode with Harry Middleton. That was one of his favorite lines. Thank you Harry? for mentioning that. Good callback. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I've always wondered about that, though, because like, they're listening to it. Don't they know where it is? <laughs> Why are we telling them? Well, I, I always think of it like if someone's listening to it from the Podbean webpage. Okay. Okay, well, you can also just get it on one of your apps sure. that you listen to, you know, rather than having to go to the website. All you right. know, some people are not internet savvy or, right. you know what I mean? I don't know. Okay. I was talking about what if it's your friend playing the podcast for you and you're like, oh, man, where do I find this podcast? Sure, that's that's <laughs> definitely happened before. I'm, sh I'm sure that's a thing that happens. No, plus sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, that was good. Uh, plus, I hear it on, on lots of other podcasts. Okay, right on. <laughs> uh, next week, we're reading Hellboy and the BPRD 1953, Wandering Souls and Beyond the Fences. So, you know what to do. Pull out your trades. Pull out your back issues. Pull out your digitals. Get all of them together and then compare as you read. <laughs> hey, you damn guys, and tell us what you found out doing that. And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey really Love of saying, I've had enough of you, pal. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Hellboy's back, yeah. baby. Hellboy's back.